Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks, Brian, and thanks all of you for downloading. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. This is the ContenderCast. This is Justin Hahnemann, and I am here today with one of my very best friends in the whole world, uh, Greg Foster. Many of you know Greg. Many of you don't know Greg, but we're going to talk today uh, with Greg, and he's actually joining us on a second podcast right after this one. But Greg, thanks for uh, for jumping in with us. This is part one. <laughs> part one, exactly. <laughs> so uh, gr- we'll a see bit how this Greg. goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do part two. A little bit about Greg. Greg and I have known each other now for 20 plus years, going back to when we first met at Georgia Tech. I actually think it was our sophomore year yeah, it was. at Georgia Tech. It was. And um, we got to know each other well there. We were super involved in, in all kinds of different campus activities. Of course, he was you know president of the under graduate student body. He was Mr. Georgia Tech, you know. And, uh, we try to forget that. <laughs> pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, we graduated. We actually went similar paths yeah. out of school, both yeah. into consulting. And I'm real excited because what we're going to talk about today is um, with Greg, some of the decisions he's made along the way in his career and, and how he's gotten to where he is today. Um, but that's really our focus. And we're going to talk about some of the crucible moments, you know, turning points where he had some big decisions to make. And and, and I think all of you are really going to appreciate the lessons he's learned. So, but Greg, why don't we start off with what you're doing today? Sure, in your sure. Role. Well, really proud uh, to be the CEO of a company called Experience, which is a division of Cox Enterprises here in Atlanta. Um, most people don't realize how large Cox is. It's a twenty billion dollar company, largest private company in Georgia, and so we are a small part of that company. We effectively provide a mobile technology that allows teams and live event venues to make the experience for the fan a lot cooler and a lot more awesome. And so we've developed an SDK that when embedded into a mobile application can allow the patron or the fan to upgrade their seat, um, get a mascot to come to their seat to take a picture, go onto the field, all kinds of things like that. We also have um, technology that allows the teams to use different business models. So for example, the Braves can offer up ticket packages and execute on those through our system. So, you know, voucher systems, buy, you know, for the, the fan can buy April and May, all the games, they can select which games they want to buy. They can get a last minute ticket. They can put their name on a a list and get a text message. Hey, we have tickets tonight left over. You want to buy a ticket, that sort of thing. We also have something called Fluid Ticket, which allows the season ticket holder to turn in their tickets for credit for food and beverage or merchandise at the game. So it's a really amazing set of technologies that all work together. They have integration with the ticket systems, the big ticketing systems, as you can imagine, Ticketmaster and Spectra and all those sorts of things. We've got about 300 properties, a little more than actually, it's more closely to 350. Um, basically, nearly every baseball, basketball, and hockey team, and about half the NFL, and about probably 50 or 60 collegiate teams. So basically the value prop to a a sports team is you're helping to move inventory that they might have that might be open inventory at a a game or an event. And then for the consumer, it's access to, I'll call it last minute, but it's not necessarily last minute inventory, right? It's just kind of easy access to available. It's, and it's, and it's your in. you know, you think about your own experience going to a, a game, you have your phone, 
right? So why not use the phone to get into the game? Why not use the phone to also do all kinds of really awesome things at the game while you're there? And so that's really the whole point is this convergence and sort of, I would call it nexus of mobile technology, smartphones, and the need or desire by the fan to do really cool things. We also deal with a lot of music venues. So Live Nation is a huge partner of ours. And so if you go to a Live Nation venue, you're probably going to see a bunch of our stuff. Wow. That's pretty cool. So it's kind of like the convergence of digital plus media entertainment plus technology plus a little bit of marketing and and your office feels like an agency. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's that's right. That's that's pretty cool. And And all part of the umbrella organization. That's right. We keep a, you know, we, we keep the look and feel of a startup, even though we were actually bought, bought by Cox. Um, which has a huge campus on Peachtree Dunwoody. But we have, they have given us permission to keep this place looking like a startup. And I think that's a big part of how we recruit people and all of that sort of thing. That's perfect. And actually, it's a, it, before we go back in, into your history of how you got here, one of the big topics we've been focused on on the ContenderCast is culture. And so I'm sure that's some of, something that's been a big focus of yours. I, I know in your background that that's been a priority. But when you got here, what did you find from the culture perspective? And then what did you do to either keep it that way or ensure that you know it did change? So there's a um, an interesting theory that I subscribe to, which is there is a point, a tipping point at which you have more people in your company that have been here for less than a year than there are who have been here more than a year. Those who have been here more than a year tend to be the author of sort of culture 1.0. Right. And then they try at their very best to indoctrinate. And maintain. And maintain those people or maintain that culture when they're hiring people as well as once those people are hired to bring them into that culture. Got it. Um, We have values that I would say reflect a lot of that culture. Um, But what I try to remind our people of is that culture does change. It is not, it is something that is very fluid and you have to understand that and you can't be so rigid in your thinking Mm -hmm. that you miss out on the good additional things that can be put in place to make your culture even better. And that happens with different new people that have different perspectives on things. Right. Because the folks that have been here are used to a certain way of operating and that they're, whether they know it or not, they almost conspire to maintain the status quo, right? I mean, that's yes. not something that's easy to Without a doubt. It's, a human, it's human nature. Civilization itself, you know, since the dawn of, the, <laughs> of, dawn of time, right? That's how it works. So, yeah, Interesting. That's, that's exactly right. And how would you describe the culture here? And, and, and also, how does that compare? You mentioned Cox and being a part of that. Like, how would you describe that culture and some of the differences? Well, I think here, you know, think about how when we're providing... Just take an example, customer support. Fans are at a Hawks game and it's 9.30 p.m. And it's the Hawks and Trailblazers or something. You know, if, if a fan has a problem with something, they have to call in to support, right? Right, and of we course. we have to keep those hours. We don't... We, we have to keep their hours, which are... <laughs> Got it. Weekends. So it could be nights. all night. It could be... Yeah. And so hours. that means that people have to work hard and love it and be passionate about what they do so much that they're willing to do that. We also have um, a culture that, you know, we say keep it fluid, meaning there are all kinds of opportunities that present themselves. Sure. And if there's a business reasoning or rationale for it, 
we got to all step up and that's another cultural value stepping up to the mic got to step up to the mic and say hey we need to go do this that means our engineering team and our product development team need to sit down talk through it and build a new product and offering for that team wow that's pretty awesome so interesting place and and i think culture has been probably one of your top priorities in addition to just growing the business overall wouldn't you say yeah definitely i mean it's a you know notwithstanding what i said earlier about culture changing at the end of the day the values that we that we subscribe to will always be paramount in 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 my mind i mean i always tell people none of us are going to retire here <laughs> though that's not necessarily true since we're part of cox and a right. lot of people <laughs> retire from cox and i'm not young but anymore <laughs> but uh what i try to get across to people is look you know you're everybody is a contributor yep. to culture but there's a, there are parts and pieces of culture that will always be steadfast, and that's important, I think. So, as someone that it, as someone that knew that's come on board, is is learning the values and what is that all part of their yes. onboarding? And we just actually hired um, a person who will be taking care of our. We're, in fact, we met this morning as a leadership team to try to figure out what her name, what her title is going to be. She's effectively HR. Got it. But we don't like that. Term. Right. <laughs> so that means different things to different people. It does. Right? She's yeah, exactly. coming from a startup or kind of a startup, a later stage startup. But she has real strong opinions about how to maintain culture without styming Got it. additional things to that culture. That's huge. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually starting a book on culture. I, you know, having uh, bounced to different places, and we'll talk about your moves in a minute, but you know, you see different cultures in different environments and it really starts at the leader. Yeah, and so I, I guess one of the things I'm hearing from you is just that it, it's so important to you and, and therefore the organization and therefore even some of the hires, you know, yeah, ties and, to it. And we are very, very blessed to have, if you look at Cox corporate, if you were to walk in there and see the history of Cox, not just the present day, but how Cox was founded and then now under the leadership of Jim Kennedy, and he loves innovation. He embraces it. Alex Taylor, who's the COO, John Dyer, who's the CEO, they all embrace it and they invest in it. And I think I've been in situations where there's this innovation thing becomes hot and it flames out. Right. It's like um, the excitement of the moment. Yeah. Sometimes. And it, almost like a, you know, I think sometimes, especially in media companies, if there's disruption in that industry, right. the CEO almost feels compelled to do something, but then it goes away the moment the market you know, has a downturn. Right. Well, that doesn't, that's not how it works. You have to have <laughs> right. a lot of patience. You have to weather the storm. You've got to be willing to invest over the long term. So we've, again, we've been, we're a beneficiary of that leadership at Cox Corporate. Um, because not only do they invest a whole lot of money, they leave us to our own devices in right. some way. They let us do what we need to do. And they hire you know, folks who've been through this and done it. Sure. Brackley, who's running Kinsey Lane, and myself and others who've, who've actually started companies, understand what it takes, and understand how to be patient. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. And you're right. You walk into the Cox offices here in Atlanta and you can tell from the minute you walk in just the culture and the values that are evident there. And they're on the, not only on the wall, but just in the people you interact with. And and it's nice. They've allowed you to stay um, as you are in your environment just 15 minutes down the road. <laughs> 
All right. So all of that's great. But I mean, how did you become the CEO of experience? Like, you know, when you start thinking back over decisions in your life, like what brought you here? Well, you know, I, as you know, I've, when I got out of business school, I had a major decision that was in front of me to go back to consulting or to go work for IXL, which was here in Atlanta. Yeah. So quick pause there, sure. just to rewind the clock yeah, a little bit. Out of Georgia Tech, went right to Deloitte Consulting yeah. and then Harvard Business School, That's small right. MBA college yeah. here in, in the US. <laughs> <laughs> and then the decision, right? What yeah, do you do? Back into right. consulting or yes. elsewhere? And Yeah. And that decision was critical. And in fact, it was funny. I was filling out something last night for a PR thing and it was a a, a survey for a publication. And the question was, you know, what was the most important decision in your career? And the most important decision in my career was the moment in time when a professor of mine at Harvard Business School said, what are you doing after school? And I said, I'm going to work for McKinsey. And he said, really? Because there's this guy in Atlanta, Bill Nussie, <laughs> right. running this. he's running a consulting firm. They're growing like mad. They're going public soon. You should go talk to him. And so I came down and having, having come down for the McKinsey interview and staying at the Ritz and having a weekend of yep. awesomeness and being given an <laughs> offer of a lot of money, right. I came down and Bill put me up at the Holiday Inn Express <laughs> on Howell Mill <laughs> and offered me half the money and told me I'd work twice as hard. But it'd be a lot of fun. But it would be a heck of a lot of fun. And he that, you know, he basically said, join us. You know, And I, I, it's funny. I prayed about it a lot and ultimately said, you know, this is what I'm being called to do. Spent a couple of years there. That business sort of fell just like, uh, I mean, it it skyrocketed and then came right back down. down. I mean, this late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, Yeah, and you saw it. I saw it. And then I went with him again. So I created a special bond with Bill. He went to take over a company that had burned a lot of money, but had a lot of promise still. And I went there. And then basically, um, it's interesting. Here at Experience, our chief revenue officer and our head of business development were two people I hired when I was at Silverpop. Oh, well, wow. email marketing, email marketing, yep. uh, marketing yep. automation system. So I stayed with him for a few years, but I really was itching to start something myself, built a company called Southern Direct, which was an e-commerce platform for television product placement. We sold that business to Turner. Um, so that was my really first exit of consequence. And I went to work for Turner for several years. We started a fund there um, I ran corporate development, ran the fund, and then I got called by the folks at Nora Mosley, the biggest VC here in town, went there for a few years, enjoyed my time there, and then had an idea. You know, In 2010, met a guy named Chad Mallory, who's my co-founder, and we, were, we effectively invented patient acquisition management for hospitals. Uh, but you're, as we just heard... You're not a hospital guy or healthcare <laughs> no, guy, right? No. So it's interesting. So out of business school, kind of into not startup world, but maybe high growth world, but then, you know, got to a place where you, you felt like it was time to start your own business. So like, how did that decision come about and how in the patient space? And Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, the Bright Whistle, which is the company you're talking about, I total blind luck or somehow (laughs) you know god just said i'm going to put this person here at the same time this person's there chad and i met in an attorney's office through a mutual friend because chad was selling a business he had started we started talking i said i have a theory he's like that 
That's a theory I've got too. Facebook advertising was just becoming a big thing. Sure. And I didn't know anything about healthcare. And well, we weren't even setting out to do healthcare. But through a through a lot of different meetings, met the head of marketing at Piedmont Hospital. Sure. Started talking to him about our theory on acquiring new customers. And he's like, I want that. I need that. And we're like, well, how the heck do we do that in healthcare? But that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur is sure. that those are hard questions, but if you can answer them, especially in something like healthcare where the barrier is very high just because of regulation, you've got something really cool. So five years later, we sold that company. I semi-retired, but my wife was basically retired. Like, you got to get out of the house. <laughs> so I did some consulting 40s. <laughs> for a little while. And then this came along through a recruiter that I knew well, and I'd known Tripp since college, since you sure. and I were there. So back on the on, on Bright Whistle, yeah. so... You guys had an idea, but like, what was it that took it from an idea and a couple guys in the technology square, you know, startup environment to wow, we got a couple clients and we this is something that has value. It's funny, you know, you have to you really you have to tolerate failure, and what, when I say that, what I really mean is that oftentimes there are entrepreneurs who fall in love with the idea. Or a market. And we know many people yes, also we do. that. <laughs> we will not <laughs> mention them. That's right. But they fall in love with their first, you know, attachment, right? Oh, we are, I am going to do this thing. So in doing that, the problem is they don't allow themselves to listen. Okay. So we well, had an idea for a function like, hey, what if we put this together with that? That could allow us to reach new clients, customers, whatever you want to call them. We started working in what I would call storefront medicine, you know, things that, you know, things like dentistry and fibromyalgia, pain care, all kinds of stuff like that. And <laughs> things you knew very little about. Very at the little time. about. But, but at the end of the day, what we discovered is that there was nobody working in the real hardcore healthcare Got market, it. and the healthcare market was changing rapidly. And the economics of healthcare are such that a nonprofit hospital, if they don't get enough high net margin procedures, right, um, they go out of business. Wow. Right. So that was what we pitched to Piedmont. You know, well, we didn't really pitch it. We said, this is what we're doing. What do you think? Sure. And that's when Matt Gove at Piedmont was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I need this. And so, he had come from real estate. Yep. He didn't know healthcare he didn't, either. He didn't know so space either. That was right. great. So, we were all the blind leading the blind in some <laughs> sense. But we built, we started building the system. We were HIPAA compliant. We built the first HIPAA compliant marketing automation system in Amazon mm -hmm. Web Services. Wow. Um, so everything was on S3. It had been, it had been, I'm doing the quotation marks with my air yeah, quotes. Yeah, air quotes here. It had been theorized it could be done, but we did it. Interesting. And so that then became the beginnings of the company. Um, and we built a sales office in Birmingham, hired three awesome people who had a Rolodex in healthcare, which we did not possess. Interesting. And they went after it. So if you had to say the top three reasons that business was successful, for you and, and the company, what would they have been? That flexibility I just talked about, our tenacity, because once we had discovered it, now you're selling into a giant industry 
which does not treat startups very well. Right. And and unknowns, right? Yeah, you know, the healthcare unknowns. industry, as you yeah. know, is a, a lot of people that have known each other for years move yeah. between hospitals and hospital That's systems. Right. And That's right. Though it is 16% of the United States GDP. So it's a huge, the total addressable market is so big that you have to, in some sense, if you have a really good solution that solves a major problem, you have to be pretty bad to fail. Got so, it, yeah. I, you know, in the VC world, right, there's always the two theories, a, play, a team, B idea, or B team, A idea, always take the A team, B idea. Interesting. Always. So, I don't, I, I think we had an A team and an A idea, but I'm biased. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> but when we built this, you know, when Chad and I started building the company, similarly to how this business at Experience got started, and I wasn't around when it got started, we had a very strong culture from the beginning. So we worked really hard, um, but we also made certain that every single person in that company knew they could raise their hand and say, I think we can do this better. I think we can build this. Those things, like probably half of the product today, sure. you know, now having sold the company and it being in somebody else's hands for two years, it's still reflective of a panoply of ideas that came the culture from, of people and ideas yeah, from the rank and file. Right. But that starts again with the leader. I mean, if the leader's yeah. not open to that kind of feedback and then right. input, that, that's and, not going to be I'm the culture. And I'm very much a, you know, I, I can tell you right now, in fact, again, we had our leadership meeting this morning. I, my expectation is that our management team does everything and they come to me if they need stuff pushed out of the way. Like, come to me if there's a resource issue or there's not enough money for right. something or we need to talk about budget. I will get it out of the way, but you've got to go onto the field and run the play. That's awesome. Well, Greg, this has been a great part one. So it's interesting. A lot of this centered on culture and the importance of values and how it starts with the leader. I like your points around having a tolerance for failure, the flexibility and listening, and then really engaging the broader team to give you input. And then tenacity, once you have an idea to go and find people that might be even more the experts than you in a space to, to move an idea forward. I think that's exactly right. Well, I appreciate your I appreciate you coming to me. Yeah, this absolutely. Awesome. Well, this, this has been a great part one. <laughs> Look forward to the next part. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. For more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content, tools, and resources, check out contenderbrands.com. Also, you can download other ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. And remember, every winner started as a contender.